Welcome to the Fem Genius Podcast, where we unlock the secrets of intuition, self-discovery, and spiritual wisdom. I'm your host, Liz Zamorski, and I'm so excited for you to join me and my special guests as we delve into tarot readings, exploring our intuitive language, and sharing practical tips and tricks for connecting with your inner guidance. Tune in for an empowering journey into the world of intuition and self-awareness. I've been away for the holidays over the past three weeks. I traveled to the U.S. from Sweden to spend Christmas with my extended family, and I'm now back in Sweden, and I'll say that since I landed back, it's felt like I've been crawling out of the void, and so if you've been in this energy too, I'm sending you so much support. It's not easy, but having that gift of perspective has been so monumental in the clarity that I've received over the past week, the processing I've done, the amount of emotion I've been able to hold. It's like I had to go back to really see and feel what it is that I have healed, what I'm leaving behind, and to find that key of gratitude for the miracle of survival. And when I say miracle of survival, I know that that can sound a little bit melodramatic and it can sound like, was it really that serious? And I've realized that I haven't shared a lot of my origin story very openly. When I first stepped into my Femme Genius business in 2020, I did a lot more advocacy for survivors of child abuse. And I was a little bit more outspoken and a little bit more vocal on social media about what I had experienced. But in the past couple of years, I've really centered my story around, I was a lawyer to a light worker. And while that's true, I feel like it doesn't really explain why I'm so passionate about being on the healing journey or what is really possible or why this is not about the tools you use. This is not about saving ourselves through consumerism. This is about processing our ability to hold emotion expanding our compassion for ourselves and therefore humanity, and also developing a deeper level of empathy for ourselves, our past selves, our present selves, our future selves, and the world around us. Because being in the spiritual industry, I can't believe I'm calling it that, but you know that's the name for it that I'm going to use. I look around and I see so many people pushing consumerism. If you buy this thing, you will be healed. If you sign up for this course, it's going to blah, 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 whatever. If you buy this magic wand and put it in your water, you're healed. That's not how we're going to heal humanity. That is not how we're going to heal ourselves. When those same people can't look in the eyes of someone they've hurt and give a genuine apology or say, you know, I see that you're hurting and I can sit here with you through it. I can hold this with you. Then those wands mean nothing. Blocking EMF frequencies means nothing. That's all fluff. We're trying to buy our way through healing and it's not going to work. It doesn't work. It continues to gape the void. The only thing that is going to heal us as humanity, our our saving grace, is ourselves, our creativity. 
What am I contributing? How am I able to connect with humanity? How am I able to look into the eyes of another and say, that wasn't fair and I can't change it, but I'm here to support you. I'm here to stand with you. I'm here to say no to the abuse. I'm here to say no to eradicating whole generations of people. I'm here to say no to buying more shit with the promise that that's going to heal. It hasn't worked. It won't work. That's not the way. The way to do it is to develop our compassion, to share our stories, to remind each other, I'm human, you're human, we're here together. We will only heal in community. Healing is not individualistic. It can't happen in a vacuum. I've tried. It doesn't work. Healing is not going to happen on a humanitarian level with people touting seven-figure businesses. When I see people still talking about wealth and abundance through the lens of dollars, of figures, of zeros, it drives me bananas because I very much am connecting with a future where money is not going to be the thing that saves us. Money is not the thing that is helping humanity. Money is not the thing that's planting more trees and doing away with fossil fuels and stopping fracking and healing the earth and healing our hearts. Money is not enough. The energy of money is not enough. There's too much pain around the energy of money. There's too much pain around the collective consumerism industry. It cannot hold. It is not the thing that's going to save us. It's us. It's our villages. It's our connection. It's our humanity. It's our flaws. It's our emotions. It's feeling them. It's our breathing, our being with one another. When I host groups and retreats, I know that I step into it with a different mindset than what I think people are expecting, where I'm not going to bring you in to a circle with me and say, listen, here's my five-step process to healing or to elevating. People are so conditioned to receiving that sales pitch for use this thing in this way and here's the result you can get. It's so transactional. Healing is not transactional. When I'm holding a group or a retreat, I'm bringing people in to my perception of the miracle of survival. Isn't it a miracle that we get to experience this moment? Isn't it a miracle that based on everything we've been through, we can sit here and still have a capacity to love ourselves and one another? And when I talk about that miracle, it comes from a deeply personal place for me because Where I come from, what I've endured, it's so much deeper than the story of I switched careers. I turned my back on a seven-figure industry, a a six-figure-a-year job. You know, when people talk about $10,000 months, I know that that's the gold standard in coaching and all of this. I'm just like, you know what? I've been there. (laughs) I've been there. And it didn't fill me up. And maybe you need to experience that for yourself. But after everything I've been through, the money was not the thing that healed me. 
It was being with my pain, listening to the voice inside of me, still being able to get out of bed every morning and marvel at the world around me and be grateful for another day. When we talk about people who survive atrocities, I can guarantee you that they're not sitting there being like, you know, I wish I had more money. Instead, they're counting their blessings as to who's still breathing and alive and sitting next to them. Who can they still embrace? Who can they apologize to? Who can they receive forgiveness from? Who can they forgive? It's our relationality that makes survival worthwhile. It's not the money in our bank account. It's not the wand sitting in our water. If all of that worked, if all of the consumerism worked, why then are the healers around the world not sponsoring packages of crystals and wands and EMF blockers and sending that to people around the world who are in the most terrible situations, who are watching their homes being bombed, who are watching their livelihoods being ripped out from under them, who are watching their children dying in their arms? Why are we not sending a magic water wand to them if it works so efficiently? And if the answer is because that's not going to help them, then why are we selling it to one another? Why are we promoting consumerism when we really need to be supporting collectivism, creativity? Because when we're in creativity, we're producing something. We're producing an energy. We're promulgating something that comes from a place of goodness, of healing, of seeing, of allowing. And I believe in that. When we talk about healing, people talk so much about healing back to who we were before the trauma started or before the pain started or before we were told what we could or couldn't be. And as someone who lives with complex PTSD, for some of us, there is no returning back because there is no before. The womb was before. And trust me that I've returned there in meditation many times. When we tell people, get out of your head and into your body, I can't tell you how many times I've been told that. And I just immediately shut down because I'm like, you clearly don't know. You think that the wand is going to heal me. You think that you can heal me. You can't. You think that it's a simple fix of getting out of my head and into my body. What if I've been taught since birth that my body is the enemy? That my body is the reason bad things happen to me? That my body is the thing that I need to get away from? Just simply telling me, get out of your head, you're in your head too much, that's causing more problems. That's causing more pain. That's putting more guilt and resentment and anger on my shoulders. And so I just want to say to everybody out there, if you are a person who spends a lot of time in your head because it's safe there, take your time. It's a process. I've now created pockets of safety in my body that I can visit. I've healed huge parts of myself that were intended to be broken off and left behind throughout my life and listened to the voices there and been able to create safety in those spots. But it is by no means a feeling of safety on the level of being able to, quote unquote, be in my body. 
my parents' house over Christmas was such an eye-opener for me in so many ways because it took me back to the origins of the abuse, the origins of what it is that I'm healing. And I appreciate that a lot of it is ancestral and a lot of it is generational, but I also appreciate the strength that it takes to say this ends with me. We're not passing this on. We are not passing these patterns on. And the amount of awareness and the amount of processing it takes to actually notice all of the painful things, hold them, feel the emotions I need to feel about them, and then make a decision based on them to either continue those patterns or to not, takes a lot of energy. It's not easy. I was in so much physical pain the whole time that I was in the US. I felt like I was in a black hole of energy. I feel like I was incommunicado with many people. I was getting messages and I was just like, I can't, I can't even process what I'm reading right now. I can't even process what's going on around me. It was enough for me to be able to wake up in the morning and feed myself, dress myself, shower myself, take care of my child, be present, not run away. Because being back in that house and being back in the patterns, I was back in the abuse. And my origin, where I come from, what it is that I'm healing is years and years and years of constant mental, emotional, physical, and psychosexual abuse. I or someone in my immediate family was going to die that day. And my caregivers, the people who were responsible for keeping us safe, were the perpetuators of the abuse, both primarily and secondarily. And I grew up with this messaging because of one of my caregivers' jobs where they had a security clearance, I grew up with the messaging that if anyone ever found out what was happening in our home, my parent would lose their job, they would lose their security clearance, they would probably go to jail, and the rest of us would be orphaned, homeless, poor. The abuse would be worse. The feeling would be worse than what we were surviving. And that it was on us, not the adults who were perpetuating these actions, not the adults who were enabling this abuse. It was up to us as the children to put on the mask. It was our responsibility to protect them so that way the abuse could continue. And so I received the messaging, although I didn't think of it in these words until over Christmas when I processed this, I was given the messaging that your job and what you do is more important than the safety of the people that you claim that you love. It's more important than your child feeling loved. It's more important than you feeling good about yourself. It's more important than having a happy home, having a safe home. The job is the most important thing. And so... From a very young age, I was taught to lie on a constant basis. I was taught to put on a mask, to be happy no matter what, 
and that the abuse was also my fault. That the abuse was because I wasn't being good enough, because I had a tone, because I wasn't performing at a high enough level, because I embarrassed somebody, because I was being a child, because I was, because of who I was, because I even existed, because I had the audacity to exist in the world, that I forced the abuse on myself. And that if I could just be good enough, that I could, that I could stop the abuse. But no, I'm making these choices, and so I'm continuing the abuse. And it feels eerily similar to what I see in the healing industry today, the spirituality industry today. If you could just buy all the right things, you could stop the abuse. You could stop the hurting. But, oh, if it's continuing, then you must just not have the right things. You must not want it badly enough. You must not be one of the chosen ones. You must not be ascended enough. Listen, that's bullshit. No. Yes, it's your responsibility to heal, to take responsibility for your actions, to take responsibility for what you can change in the world, to be with your emotions, to be with your reactions, to be with yourself to build compassion, to build healing, to build empathy, but it's not going to come through buying into someone else's metrics of how that happens. It's about getting close enough with yourself and getting close enough with yourself means healing the parts of you that you need to stay away from. And that's what I'm talking about with the spaces that I'm holding is that I'm inviting you in and I'm showing you how I do this. I'm showing you how this looks and it looks pretty ordinary, but it's about building community. It's about being okay with feeling emotion. It's about connecting with the land and the world around you and taking responsibility for how you're a steward of that land, of that community, of your own healing, of your body. But it's not because of a lack, you know, your pain is not because of a lack of you doing the right things or buying the right things. This is our journey, is to feel, is to be with one another, is to heal, is to learn how to evolve humanity, how to be able to sit with someone who is grieving and not turn away from it or not just try to placate it with they're in a better place. It's about allowing yourself to access that depth of emotion with someone to allow ourselves to heal together. When I was six years old, I picked up the phone one afternoon on a weekend, which were the most dreaded times of the week where most kids on a Friday afternoon were so excited about the weekend or most kids on the last day of school were so excited about summer break or Christmas break. I was dreading it. I was a ball of anxiety because I knew that that meant that my father would probably be home, that my mother would probably be home, that we would be stuck in that house for 48 hours together just surviving, and that I was going to a place that was inconsistent, chaotic, disorganized, filthy, infested in both physical and mental ways, that I was stepping into pure evil. I wasn't scared of... Stephen King books and movies. I read and watched those way too young. Those things did not scare me. 
I had looked into the eyes of pure evil. I have seen someone lose complete control of their mind, of their body, of their actions, and be working purely on rage and pain and be hurting the children who are looking to them for love, for safety, for stability. I've looked into that. I felt that. I've been on the receiving end of that and wondering if I'm going to survive it. And so one day when I was six on a Saturday afternoon, I called 911. I picked up the phone and I finally called 911. And as soon as I heard the operator's voice, I hung up the phone. And my father looked at me and he said, you're dead to me for doing that and walked away. And while I was still being abused, that changed something in me that fundamentally rewired me to not ask for help, even in what felt like a life or death situation. I was in a home that day where I truly believed, and out of all the atrocities I'd experienced, seen, heard, woken up to in the middle of the night, woken up to in the morning, and then had to put that mask on and go to school and try to learn while also acting like everything was fine, waking myself up, brushing the knots out of my hair, getting myself ready for a day of pretending. I had never come so close until that day of believing that someone was actually going to die. And when I did, I took action. And when I did, I was disowned or I was told that I may as well be dead. And that rejection for asking for help stick, stuck with me. I spent the rest of my childhood praying to survive, praying to get out of there, praying that one of my parents would actually die so we could feel some relief. I, at 12 years old, which is now looking at my child who's just turned 10, um, it's incredibly young. But it was the first time that I really contemplated taking my own life because it just felt like there was no hope. Around that time, I was called into the principal's office because I'd stopped eating lunch because I was just, that was the one thing I could control. And I know people talk about that with eating disorders, that it's the one thing they could control. But literally the only thing I felt like I could control in my life was what I was putting in my mouth. And by that point, my body was a constant target for ridicule at home, for judgment, for someone else's eyes as I moved into puberty. And so I just tried to disappear as much as possible. And the principal called me into her office and she said, we've noticed you're not eating at lunch. Someone's reported it from the cafeteria. And so I need to know what's going on with you. And I just said, you know, I'm just too nervous to eat. I have a nervous stomach. And if I eat food, it makes my stomach hurt. And the principal said, okay, well, why are you so nervous? And I just sat there with my heart pounding because I thought, what do I do here? What do, what do I do? I'm cornered by this adult. If I lie, she's going to know that I'm lying. She's calling me out on all of these excuses. I don't know what to tell her. And so I finally just said at 12 years old, 
I'm afraid of my parent. And I started telling her some of the details of what were go- what was going on at home. And she sent me to the school counselor who called my parents. One of my parents came to school, met with the counselor, and I just felt such relief. I was like, oh my gosh, this is finally going to change. We finally have a chance. We're finally going to get out of that house. We're finally going to be free. And nothing happened. Nobody ever followed up. Nobody ever called me back in. I never had a follow-up appointment. Nobody ever checked in at home. Nobody contacted social services. Nobody contacted anybody. They contacted my abuser and my enabler and told them what I had said, that I had done the thing that we were never supposed to do and I had told. And then nothing happened. And so guess what happened at home? It got even worse because now there was a permission slip that, oh, even if someone finds out, nothing's going to happen. And the utter disappointment and helplessness and failure that I felt in my body, I can't even describe. To ask for help, to tell the truth when that's what we've been told to do, that the truth will save us. And then to see people, other adults, turn their backs was devastating. And I just felt like, okay, I'm the one who's going to have to save me. I had to put that on my own shoulders at 12. At 12 years old, I'm the one who's going to save me. And so I just put my head down and survived until I was 17 and I went early decision to Virginia Tech and got the hell out of there. And it was literally my parents, you know, I had to buy all of my supplies for college. I had to work summers and save up my money to buy everything I needed to move away to school. I got dropped off at school and my parents were gone within half an hour. And I didn't see them again until Christmas. And I was just in this state of shock. One of the first things I did was go to the counseling center and get myself into free therapy in college just to start working my way through what it is that I had survived. And granted, that therapy didn't feel like it helped, but at least I had someone to talk to. And I've been unraveling and reprogramming and trying to just survive every day since. And so excuse me if I don't believe that your supplement is going to heal me because it it can't. I've tried pills before. I've tried the magic wand. I've tried all of these things. And the only thing that has truly helped me is being able to be with my pain, to allow the emotions that come up to come up, for me to find and use tools that help me access my emotional body and my subconscious, like the tarot. But I'm not here to say that the tarot, that these cards, that this ink and paper heals you. You heal you. This just gives you some indicators of where the healing needs to be done. I also have found a very, very good, helpful therapist that I've been working with for the past five years in 
who practices in psychosynthesis therapy. And one of the first meetings that we had five years ago, she did this visualization with me to meet my inner child. And it was so telling and heartbreaking, but so powerful and so healing because I met five-year-old me and we talked and then I invited her to come live with me in my home for her to come stay here, for her to feel safe here. And the only question she had for me was, is the dad nice there? And just looking down into her eyes and hearing the depth of responsibility that was in that question and being able to look at her and be so proud of how far I've come, be able to recognize how far I've come that I could look her in the eyes and say, yes, the dad is so nice. And to just feel the gratitude for how much healing it took and how much surviving it took and how much openness it took for me to meet Henrik and see the kindness and the goodness in him and to receive that and to say yes to that and to not turn away from that because it was deeply uncomfortable to be emotionally intimate with someone who was kind and not be waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time, and not be waiting for abuse, and not be choosing chaos because it's what I knew, but to instead be able to look at that little girl who was within me and say, yes, the dad is nice. That's one of my most proudest healing moments, and that I've kept locked away. Because in order to explain the the mag to be able to explain the magnitude of that moment means to understand and to explain why that moment was so big, why that breakthrough cracked everything open, where I had this ray of hope and this ray of trust and this ray of self-love come through, where I was like, yeah, the dad is nice. Look at what I've allowed. Look at what I've created in my life. I've created a home that is comforting and warm and full of love and creativity where every single person here is seen and held and honored where your beingness is your superpower. It's not your crime that you need to be punished for where every person here is welcomed with love, accepted for who they are, and they're shown compassion from the very first moment they walk in the door. Where you can breathe, where you can feel, where you can be held, where you can ask for help. This past year, I was in another situation where I had just had to clear out a bunch of connections from my life that were painful, that were abusive, 
and that I hadn't recognized those patterns. I hadn't recognized that I was playing out those patterns and that little Liz was inside of me protecting me and being like, you know what, just, you know, they're hurting, just be there for them. They don't know what they're doing. I didn't have a word for what I was doing, but I do now. And that is that I was self-abandoning where I was taught from the moment I was born, from the moment I took my first breath to self-abandon, that other people's needs are more important than mine, where I'm strong enough to hold it, so I need to hold it. I need to hold in my emotions. I need to hold in my reactions. I need to hold in my opinions. I need to hold in my feelings. I can't turn away from someone who's hurting. I need to let them feel what they need to feel because I can hold it. That makes me strong. And instead, it's the thing that kept me in weakness. And so there I was. It feels like all of 2023 was just this one long goodbye to all of these toxic connections in my life. But I was sitting in therapy and I felt this pain in my chest, which is usually where I feel the pain in my body when I'm self-abandoning or when I'm experiencing abuse, but I'm not ready to acknowledge it. And I felt that familiar pain in my chest. And so my therapist guided me. She said, you know, just what's, what's in there? Just go in there and visualize what's there. And I immediately saw this huge crocodile snapping its jaws and it made me kind of do a double take and like kind of jolt back and she said okay what's there I said there's this huge crocodile and it's mad and it's writhing and I can see that its tail its huge powerful tail is slapping the water and its jaws are snapping and I'm scared and I see how angry it is And she said, okay, just be there with it and notice it. So I just watched this crocodile and it was so violent and it was thrashing and moving so quickly, but I just sat there and stared at it. And what happened next was that I noticed this little girl standing on its back and she was me. But she didn't look like me. She wasn't any version of myself that I felt a connection to, but I knew it was me. And she was probably seven or eight years old, and she just looked like one of the lost boys from Peter Pan. She had this wild, snarly, knotted hair that was just sticking out at all angles, and she was dirty, and she was wearing like tattered clothes or skins, that she had probably put together herself barefoot and she was just standing so stoically, standing so steadily on the back of this crocodile as it thrashed. And she had no fear of being thrown off. It was like she was in total control and she had a stick in her hand that she had, you know, resting on the crocodile's back and she had the other hand on her hip in a fist and she was just staring at me as she rode that wave of the crocodile and so I said to her um, 
hey, can you come down from there and can we talk for a moment? Could you tell the crocodile to calm down? And she just hopped down and the crocodile just was subdued immediately. And she stood there and I said, you know, you're welcome to be here, but I'm wondering what's the deal with the crocodile? And she didn't say anything, but it was like I could read her thoughts as she stood there. And it was like the crocodile was a gatekeeper. It was a protector. It was like the dragon protecting the castle. And she was able to ride that dragon. She was able to be on that crocodile. And so I said, what exactly is that crocodile protecting? And she pointed to her left. And the way that I was looking at her, what was to her left was where my heart would be. And I didn't see my heart, but it was like I followed her pointing. And it just was this black hole. But I was like, oh, that's where my heart should be. And so this little girl, this little wildling and her crocodile had been there angrily thrashing around, stoically standing there, making sure that nobody got to my heart. Because what was in my heart was softness and love and kindness and laughter and smiling and joy, all these things that I'd been ridiculed for since I was little. What's popping in my head right now is being five years old at my Christmas pageant and having a little drum in my hand and that all the kids were going to process up the aisle to the stage for the little Christmas pageant. And we were supposed to play these instruments as we walked up the aisle. And I remember standing in the back of the church, holding this little drum and telling little five-year-old self inside, don't smile, don't look like you're having fun because daddy will make fun of you later. And so I walked up that aisle playing that drum, trying to keep my face as still as possible. And I was so upset because I started smiling in spite of myself because I loved seeing the crowd and I loved feeling, ooh, I loved feeling their energy and their admiration and their love for their kids. I could feel that. I could tap into how proud all of these families were of their children who were walking up the aisle and how fun it was to be making a joyful noise with that drum and just crumbling inside because I was like, oh no, he's going to see and I'm going to get it because I'm making a fool of myself and it's embarrassing for me to be acting like a kid, for me to be enjoying this. And I did get it. I did get ridiculed. But for that one moment of being able to receive that outpouring of love from everyone, I took it. And so it was like this little girl was protecting all of that softness in my heart. And I just told her, like, we don't have to protect that anymore. The people who would exploit you for feeling joy, for feeling love, for allowing pain into your heart, for allowing goodness into your heart, for allowing yourself to be seen, those are not good people. They do not belong in your heart. But that does not mean that we have to keep it close to everyone and everything. And so together, she and I opened my heart. And it was a couple of days later, I was in my kitchen, and I grew up in a very 
like I said, chaotic environment. It was very dirty. It was very messy. There was a lot of hoarding going on. It was not the type of place where I could invite friends over after school. I think I had a friend over to my house maybe twice in my whole life. And I was in my kitchen and I looked on the wall and I had this decorative spoon that someone had given me. And I looked at it and I was like, I don't want this. And this is what that hoarding has done to me in my adult years. Like I went through a phase of compulsive cleaning, of compulsive order in my life, of compulsive purging in many ways. But now I feel like, you know, I do a a normal amount of cleaning, a good amount of upkeep. I am free from this feeling of like, I just need to keep everything perfect. But I still allow myself that if something doesn't feel like it belongs to me or belongs in my home or that it doesn't bring in a good energy, that I need to remove it. And so I looked on the wall, I saw this decorative spoon and I was like, you know what? This doesn't belong to me anymore. There was a story associated with the spoon that doesn't feel relevant right now, but I just took the spoon, the wooden, the long wooden spoon, and I broke it. And when I looked at the piece that was left of the handle, it looked like a crocodile with an open mouth with those jagged teeth. And I gasped. I was like, oh my God, you can't make this up. There's the crocodile. I actually took a photo of it and sent it to my therapist. I was like, you're not going to believe what I just did. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. I'm going to see if I can find a photo of it because it's just almost unbelievable. And that weekend, Henrik and I went out into the woods and we lit a fire. And in it, we threw a few things. One of them for me was a sweatshirt from law school that's had my law school name on it. I released that. I threw in the crocodile and let that energy just be released and transmuted because I don't need that crocodile anymore. I don't need that protection of my heart in that same way. It doesn't have to be angry, snapping its jaws and thrashing its tail. It gets to be soft. I get to set up normal boundaries of yes and no. And this is really what I'm talking about when I when I talk about the healing journey, when I talk about allowing yourself to not just confront, but accept these things as they come up. And that it's not about waving a magic wand and saying, I release everything that's ever hurt me. It's about allowing through our process that wisdom, those lessons, those experiences, like that moment of being in that church and banging that drum and smiling and feeling so terrible letting myself go back there and feel that with five-year-old me from my adult perspective, being able to go back and hold her and protect her and say, it's not your fault that you got ridiculed for that. That's his fault. It's not your fault that all of that abuse was happening. That's their fault. It's not your fault that you held this inside for so long. You were taught to do that. And to be able to feel the gratitude, not for the abuse, but the gratitude for my survival. Because when I returned back to Sweden after Christmas with that perspective, and I could go on and on about 
the reasons why I returned to that home again, even though I know all of this now. But so much of it is that when you're on this healing journey, when you're in this healing bubble, it can be easy to feel like everyone else is doing it too, that everyone else is evolving. It can be easy to anesthetize yourself as to how bad it truly is because that's the way that you can survive and move forward and leave that house. There was a need to see it again. There was a need to feel it again, to gain that perspective of how much healing I've actually done. I needed to go into that to come back here to Sweden and be in my home and just be like, oh, this is the life I've created out of all of that mess. This is what I've done with all of that. I've created this environment for myself and for the ones around me that I love. I've created this environment for healing. And it's a freaking miracle that I survived it. I am so proud of this journey. I am so proud of this healing. And yes, I have a community around me that has helped that. I've found people who can help support me through this. But it was not because of someone else's magic wand. It was because of my own light, because of my own bravery to return inwardly to those spaces that have been filled with hatred for myself, that have been filled with blame that I deserve this, that I deserved to witness atrocity as a child, as a young adult, as an adult now, that I deserve to be talked to this way, that I deserve to be touched in this way, that I deserve everything. And instead to say, you know what, that was their failing. You didn't deserve it but it is our responsibility to heal it, to feel it, to move through it. It is my responsibility to acknowledge the gratitude of survival, the gratitude of endurance. Thinking back to four, five, six, seven, 17, 25, 32-year-old me and say, I have no idea how that little girl survived it. I have no idea how that little girl somehow found the strength to face it, to face the darkness day in and day out and still get up and still keep going. I have no idea how adult me can still hold all of that unhealed energy and not be sitting in a corner, just rocking back and forth day in and day out. Or not be perpetuating that abuse with my child in some way. I have no idea, but I am so grateful for it. I am so grateful for that miracle because that's the only way that I can fathom that I'm still here is through the miracle of survival. And so I'm not saying that everyone has to have gone through what I went through. Maybe yours was worse. Maybe yours wasn't as bad. But no matter what, every single day, 
we can still wake up and say, it's a miracle I'm surviving. When we look at the world around us and the vitriol and the pain and the evil in the eyes of people around us and the people who are responsible for our safety on a global level, on a humanitarian level, the people with the means of production, the people who hold the resources, and we look at them and they want to exploit us and exploit the supply chain and exploit our fear of lack. And we're looking to them and saying, you know what? They're dropping the ball. We can't rely on them for our healing. We can't rely on these old systems to get us to where we need to be as a community. It's up to each one of us. It's up to walking into the grocery store or the Starbucks or whatever and being able to see the humanity in every single person that you're interacting with, being able to lead with your light, to smile at someone, to change the trajectory of their day by you being in your humanity. I can't tell you how many times I had that opportunity, especially over Christmas, because in my daily life here in Sweden, I go to a grocery store once a week. I maybe go downtown max once a week. I'm not engaging with people all day long out in the general public. And so being in the U.S. and being in consumerism, going to Target, going to Starbucks, going here and there, and every single moment seeing it as an opportunity to connect with someone on a human level and to smile at them and to say like, hey, how are you? As an authentic, smiling human being who saw them as a human being, who didn't see them for their job or their position or their paycheck or what it is they're about to do for me and detach from the fact that I'm a human talking to a human. When I was able to ground into that and say, hey, how are you? I felt it. I felt that connection happen. Even if it's a micro connection where we were only going to be talking for 30 seconds, I just felt that moment and I can't tell you how many lines I held up in places and how many people were probably annoyed with me because the cashier or the person that I was interacting with suddenly couldn't stop themselves from talking because <laughs> like, hey, how are you? And you could just see this brightness come over their face and they're like, I'm okay. How are you? And then they would start telling me their life story. And I love that. I love those moments where it's not about how long the line is behind me. It's not about how much money your corporate overlords are making per hour because I took an extra five minutes of your time so you could feel a human connection today. Let them wait. <laughs> we would go into these restaurants and sit down and just really connect with a server and be able to say like, hey, how's it going? You doing okay? We're going to be your fun table, okay? If you need fun, you come over here. We'll, we're here. And people just being like, oh my God, I love you. And we were like, we love you too. And really feeling that. But that came from me doing the brave work of feeling how terrible it is to be abused and to say, I am not going to be the perpetuator of abuse in this world. I am not going to take advantage of people in this world. I am not going to make people feel less than for feeling their feelings, how they need to feel them in this world. 
It's time for joy. It's time for gratitude. It's time for allowing people to transcend the five-step process and instead get back to the business of being, of feeling, of being together, of being accepted, of looking in someone else's eyes and seeing more than just evil, seeing joy, seeing acceptance, seeing love. This is what we need. I want us to move from survival to thriving, but I also don't feel like that's possible until all of us can indulge in the privilege of the miracle of survival. Until all of us can feel gratitude for our miracle of survival, then none of us is thriving because humanity is hurting. And so I leave you with this question that if we are here to spread the light of this miracle, that we are here, that the land is still here supporting us, even though we've abused her so badly, how do we tap in there? What can we do? How can you shine your light today? It can be in what feels like an everyday interaction. It can be in a bigger way, but it just feels like we are being tasked with the survival of humanity, with the true healing, with our ability to feel within ourselves and then with each other, our ability to look without turning away. And that's not coming from a magic wand, that's coming from you. So I'm sending you a lot of love, and I mean that in the most genuine way. I send you awareness, I send you joy, I send you miracles beyond recognition. Let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's choose us as humanity. We're worth living for. I believe that. We're worth healing for. There's so much love to still be found. Let's find it. So with that, until next time, stay grounded, stay magical, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Fem Genius Podcast, where intuition meets inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode and want more empowering insights, don't forget to subscribe and share your thoughts in the comments. Remember, your intuition is your superpower, and together we're unlocking its full potential. Stay curious, stay intuitive, and keep shining your unique light in the world. Until next time.